Hello and welcome to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. It's the podcast where I always sit down with an extraordinary person and they share their story. They might have faced some kind of adversity, they might still be on a journey, but all these stories will make you laugh, cry and hopefully feel a little bit inspired. My guest today is someone who, just like us all, faced lockdown, but that hasn't held her back creatively. Paloma Faith is a Brit Award-winning singer, songwriter and actress with five top ten albums to her name. Having grafted her way through the industry, she's just released her fifth album, Infinite Things. She wrote the album during the pandemic and learned to engineer and record on her own at home. And she clearly did an incredible job as it's storming the charts as we speak. Paloma's navigated the notoriously difficult and male-dominated industry on her own terms. She says, I've made mistakes being gobby and worn appalling outfits, but in my core, I feel confident in my morals. Paloma Faith joins me now. Welcome. Thank you. Hello. (laughs) Hello. It's so great to have you here. Um, The podcast and the listeners, like it's often about um, how we view ourselves, our self-esteem, our confidence. And that's why I feel like you're the perfect guest to come on appropriate that I've decided to switch my camera off (laughs) but no but that's not what confidence is about it isn't about willing to be on display all the time is it that that's actually no it's the confidence to say actually no I don't want to be on display today Mm -hmm. yeah it's good to have your boundaries and, and exercise them um so I know everybody keeps talking about lockdown and it's getting a bit boring but I did want to start by asking you, um, purely because, you know, you're a performer um, and I always assume that performers get their buzz from their connection with their audience. And, yeah. you know, all of you have been deprived in 2020 of that. And I wondered if you have still managed to stay connected and motivated, how did you do that? Um, oh, it's really hard. I think motivation's something that runs through my veins because I'm quite, I'm sort of at the time in my life where I know um, what's good for me and what's not good for me and I'm able to do those things. And I know that being inactive and not feeling like I'm making something does make me feel very sad. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like had a couple of weeks where I was just sort of analysing at the beginning how I was going to make this work and then I thought okay I'm just gonna have to learn how to do this so it it doesn't stop Mm. and um and that's sort of what I did um in terms of so in terms of motivation um I've I've got it in bucket loads I, I started working when I was 14 and I haven't stopped working since I I am somebody who has got that mentality where I need a reason to wake up in the morning mm-hmm. um, whether it be my child or my job or whatever but I just need those things so that's definite and then what was the other element of the question you said you said two words motivation and something else and connection because we all became connection. disconnected yeah. didn't we and you have to connect with your audience well I feel like the connection thing's a little bit cunning and sort of scary because I think that sometimes there's a lot of stuff around that gives us the illusion of being connected and then we sort of wake up one day and we realise that maybe it it is an illusion. Um, so I obviously through lockdown I did my little um, live Instagrams called The Deciders which were quite funny and very frank which gave 
the tabloid newspapers, loads of horrific <laughs> headlines, um, headlines <laughs> of, of wrong interpretation. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I I f- I felt um, at times that I'd lost connection. But I think you know, social media is a blessing and a curse in a way, and sometimes it did feel like a blessing just mm. to be like they're out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not the ideal way to connect, but it's better than nothing no. at all, isn't it? Yeah, uh, totally. What about, um, I talked in the intro about your new album, Infinite Things, and how you'd yeah. kind of engineered the whole album yourself. Is this going to change how you do the rest of your albums and all of your music in the future? Are you ever going to leave the house to create music again? I don't know. I I feel like something great happened with this album because of the intimacy that I had of just being my own home and doing it on my terms. Um, And I think that lyrically it's much more truthful and honest and I gave myself time in a way that you don't always have when you go to a studio of loads of people. You're like, okay, we've got to write a song in a day and it's got to bash it out. And that sort of urgency can sometimes be creatively stunting. But this was really sort of fulfilling and also at times really, um, you know, with like a scheduled studio session, you can't necessarily guarantee you're going to have any feelings yeah, to yeah. write about. But this was amazing that I'd be like, oh, I can feel some feelings. <laughs> I'm going downstairs. So natural. And, um, yeah. So I felt, I feel like the product is very honest and truthful and also maybe the best vocals I've done because I was uninhibited by sort of people staring at me, which Mm. is what's usually the case. I did wonder, did you have to rewrite or change anything? Because, you know, like pre-March, it was a completely different atmosphere and vibe in the world. Um, And then creating stuff in lockdown, it was actually a roller coaster. You know, no day, no emotion, no feeling was consistent for anybody. Did you find that was kind of reflected in what you produced? Yeah, so Gold's the only one that really was fully done outside of lockdown, both thematically and also the recording. Every other song was recorded in my house, in my basement by me. And um, all the other, some of, a couple of the other songs were written before, but they were, I kept the kind of introspective ones. Um, There were a few on there that just seemed a bit smug, Mm. maybe. a bit like a toddler going na 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 in the context of yeah. lockdown. Like remember when it was great? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I took those off and then went more into myself. And then, like you know, things life didn't stop happening. So there's a few songs about a very dear friend of mine on there who was unfortunately diagnosed with a terminal illness. Mm-hmm. And I, I got really upset about that because I felt very powerless not being able to act like my normal self because normally I'd just be like, right, I'm coming over, mm. let's get into bed and order a takeaway and cuddle. And we couldn't do that because of, you know, if somebody's very ill, they're, they're shielding and all of those things. So that was really hard so i instead i wrote a few songs about that person do they know do they know the songs are about them yeah yeah well i sort of asked permission in a way cuz it's quite a public thing to mm. say uh, it's 
is it okay that I speak about my feelings about something that's very much your happening to you? Mm. So I had to play them first and be checked that they were good. <laughs> <laughs> not if they're not good, he said. This <laughs> <Least> is honest. <laughs> um, and then, um, yeah, and then, like, obviously, just being in lockdown, I didn't have as much to write on externally of my home and family. So it's very kind of personal and up close yeah. in terms of the themes. Uh-huh. So which is great for the audience like you said that intimacy and that authenticity and quite raw really. Yeah. Yeah. I loved I saw um on your Instagram. I mean for me this this is the kind of the way I relate to you is like <clears throat> in my family I've got two children. I'm the breadwinner. Um, you know, yeah. I, I try and be f- fairly private about my kids in terms of I don't put them on the internet, they don't take part in my work or anything like that. Um, yeah. And I thought it was really interesting, you know, you went on Jonathan Ross show the other day and you, it's really clever what you do because you dispel any untruths within tabloid press first on your Instagram so that if people read stuff about you and then go to your Instagram for the facts, you can kind of see what the reality of the experience was. Mm. Um, and you talk about, you know, going on Jonathan Ross to promote this new album, um, which is something, you know, you have to do. You're you're passionate about your music. You need to promote it. And it always, it reminds me of um, when I write a book, I always write self-help books. And, yeah, you know, the journalists always want to talk about the book, but all my private life. And they always want to talk about my kids and say, oh, you're such an amazing mum. And I'd sit there thinking, well, Actually, my husband's closer to my kids because I'm here promoting the book because that's what I do. Um, and I am an amazing mum in my own way, but he's the one that knows what their favourite song is, what they wear, because I just can't do that and run the whole house and be the breadwinner. Um, and it's really annoying how people kind of push you in, into that and put those words into your mouth. And like they almost create that kind of guilt. And I wondered if you'd preferred this way of promoting where you haven't really had to leave the house as much to promote those projects? Mm. I have enjoyed when I've left the house. Same. (laughs) It's the most sort of normal I've felt. And also I actually think that the, the, the dynamic in parenting between me and my partner works really well because I am somebody who likes to be out and about and that does suit me and he is somebody who prefers to be at home and a bit more contained and in a cocoon so um, it works for us and so he's really happy with the fact that I'm like yay I've got one of those jobs where I get to leave (laughs) yeah (laughs) doesn't mean that I don't love coming home because of course I do but it's just um it's sort of good for my soul to get out and interact with other people mm-hmm. and I think everyone in our house knows that like mummy's miserable if she doesn't do that so yeah. um yeah so that's I don't know I just think you're right and and I do I do like to um 
dispel those things you know like when I went on Instagram afterwards and I was like oh it's really hard because I couldn't get comfortable in the chair because I'm really pregnant mm-hmm. and I kept thinking I can't sit in a sparkly cat suit with my legs open the camera's <laughs> straight at me I have to cross my legs and I couldn't very well I was crossing and uncrossing them thank god in the edit you can't really see that but I was so uncomfortable in the chair <laughs> I was like, this is awful. <laughs> but there's a double there's a double edge to it. It's like it's really important what you're doing because you're helping other people by being honest. But also does it take a pressure off you by being so honest as well? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's liberating, especially because um I think it's about owning your individual experiences. And the thing is, is we're all kind of taught to um we're all very much taught to kind of adhere to certain um, social expectations and, you know, people defy that all the time. You're an amazing example of that and um, I get on with people who have that mindset of like, okay, so I've been told this is this, but no. Mm -hmm. And actually that's really liberating for the group of people that are like you. So... I think it's kind of valuable and important to say all that and not kind of present this like um sort of social socially conforming group of expectations and and pressures on the rest of the of you know other women watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, mean I I'm like I am an amazing mother some days, but I'm absolutely appalling mother mm-hmm. on other days and I think you know, we look at our parents and I always say to my partner, like, oh, whatever happens, that they're going to grow up and sort of resent us anyway. I know, and right? And I'll be able yeah. to pay for the therapy because I work so hard. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, though. It's so true. And you've got to let them have, you know, that's the way it's going to be. Like, it's never going to be, they're never going to be grateful. So we might as well just do what we at want. At some anyway. point, they're going to yeah. go, mum was always out working and she just, and you're like, yeah, but now I'm paying for your therapist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, like, before my kids were born, I've always been like this. And that's how my partner met me and that's what he was attracted to so yeah I've, I've never changed and actually that's just the way I've always been and my kids don't know what I'm not you know so exactly same I, I actually found my diary from when I was 14 this week and I've been reading it and it's it's quite embarrassing and hilarious I couldn't read mine but, but there's loads of there's loads of stuff in it about um my friends have started to say they don't want to be friends with me anymore because they say that I always put my um, extracurricular uh, extracurricular activities before then. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that sounds like I haven't changed at all. Literally, like, from the age of 14, always mm-hmm. working on some extra project or something. Well, that's interesting because on my list of questions, I, I thought, I wonder if she remains as ambitious today as she's always been. That was something I really, because I feel like ambition's been a a big part of who you are. And, you know, in our, I know it's different. It was always different in your own eyes, how you see your own successes. Because in our eyes as the outsider, we see you as you've peaked, you're successful. And if you are still that ambitious, how, how do you remain like that when you've achieved so much? I think it's hard when you're hard on yourself and I'm sure by the sounds of it you relate to this. Mm. So this week I had a lot of phone calls saying congratulations you're at number four Mm -hmm. and it's your fifth 
album in the top 10 that you've had in over a decade like this is incredible and I was like number four that's exactly what I'd be like yeah (laughs) (laughs) I was like that's three in front of me and my boyfriend was singing Andrea Bocelli all day long because he's number three (laughs) and he was laughing at my face I was like stop singing it (laughs) because <laughs> he's not the opposite he's just like four's amazing uh-huh. he's kind of not got that same I guess in some sometimes it's positive when it's ambition and other times that ambition can turn into something that's quite dangerous like mm-hmm. a, sort of you're in a bully you're bullying yourself yeah you're like your own dissatisfied unpleasable parent and I would never put my child under the pressure I put myself under. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, you know, yeah. why isn't it an A? Yeah, no, same with I me. Just, my standards yeah. are ridiculous for me, but for anybody else, I'm just happy if they turn up, you know? It's yeah, just, totally. Yeah, but then I suppose that some people would say, well, look, there's a lesson here to be had around gratitude. But for me, because I'm very similar, I would say this is what keeps me achieving all the time and going above and beyond and and exactly. I, I enjoy it, you know. I like being really high standards in my professional life. And new life. challenges and new mm-hmm. achievements as well. Like, oh, I didn't think I would ever achieve that. So I'm going to try and do that one. Um, yeah, and I think that's something that you'll probably have from a very young age, if not a bit born with, depending on, you know, it's a character trait, basically, that you can't really unlearn, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's just, well, like you said, looking back at that diary, it's just who you've always been. Yeah. It's interesting, right? When I was researching you um, over the last few weeks, the same thing would come up saying that um, Paloma Faith is a really headstrong person within the music industry. And I was just like, Right. Okay. Would we say this about a man? Because it is, yeah. it's a funny descriptive word to describe a woman who just kind of stands her ground and sticks up for herself. I wouldn't call myself headstrong. I'd say I was kind of a normal person who's comfortable mm. being myself, which isn't necessarily headstrong. But there's lots of words thrown around uh, about around women. There was a interview that I did the other day for Children in Need, and the male presenter said. Can you let someone else get a word in edgeways? Oh, my goodness, you're joking. And I thought, you'd never say that to a man. No. You'd never say that. If it was someone like Robbie Williams, who's got a sort of sim- slightly similar interview style to me, like a little bit um, cheeky or whatever. And I was like, I've never heard anyone say to Robbie Williams, like, can someone get a word in edgeways? Yeah, it's so it's rude. It's such a and, strange thing to say. And so patronising and just... Um, yeah. So yeah, there's lots of those words that, and I and I feel like people's response to my humour is often quite sexist as well because I do make jokes that are the type of jokes that men would make, and I'm met mm-hmm. with a, diff, a different different reaction. response. Yeah. yeah. Well, I but always I agreed. So headstrong. I'm not. I wouldn't say. I think if somebody asked my partner if I was headstrong person, he'd probably say no. She's quite soft. At mm. home, 
Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I, I know how to articulate what I want, but I'm not like at home shouting at everyone. It's quite a calm household we have. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I'm probably much more likely to be a bit weepy than I am shouting mm. <laughs> as a person. Well, yeah, that, that's because, <laughs> but, but lots of performers say they have, I mean, I don't want to say alter ego because it sounds cliche, but any profession, you are different at work than you are in private. Um, yeah. And I just wondered for you, you know, what, so I always ask like real people in my life before I do a podcast, I ask them, what would you want to ask this person? And one of my male friends, when I asked him about you, he was like, she's really out there, isn't she? And I was just like, what does out there mean? <laughs> <laughs> he was like, well, she's really vocal. I was like, she speaks, she communicates. <laughs> and then the, in the end, he was like, oh, I, I don't know, actually, I don't know. And, and I was just like, this is so interesting. Because, yeah, you know, you do present as outgoing and confident. And I, I don't think he understood how to deal with that. And I wondered, in an industry like you're in, was there any pressure to present as less than um to compromise your morals to to abandon who you are and actually manufacture something different I think that yes because when I first started out I was much more arty and a bit weirder um in a sort of creative sense like I would do prosthetics and basically loads of stuff that Lady Gaga ended up doing but (laughs) but um but I was sort of told like you know that's alienating and it's not going to appeal to commercial audience and stuff like that and I am all about I think at my core I really wanted I mean the reason why I love art so much and I'd realized this from quite a young age was that I I actually want the opposite of that I want to use it to unite people um that's why I'm not you know pretentious about my creativity I try and make everything inclusive and not elitist and accessible so when I was given that kind of advice I did take it on board because I was like oh if somebody suggests that I might alienate people because of it I would rather not do that Mm. um but I I think it's also quite interesting the whole concept of like a gender divide and how I was raised and how I raised my daughter um is that I was raised um in a way that was about my personal character mm-hmm. not about being a girl or a boy or even a boyish girl or a girlish girl or whatever like all of those kind of um huge sort of umbrella statements I think can be quite restrictive to our children and I I was raised in a way that was like oh she really likes lego so we'll we'll get us some lego yeah and nothing ever felt when i was growing up um, impossible uh-huh. like um i was encouraged to be me and i guess that this sort of person that i am now is a product of that so when people say out there i guess it's because i don't quite understand what I'm meant to be. I've never been taught or that's never been cultivated in me that girls do this and boys do this Mm -hmm. Um, because my mum was like a big feminist and also she was a girl and I was a girl and so it was about who in our house because it was a single parent household, it was about us as people, not about ladies and boys or Mm -hmm. whatever. And my mum was the dominant character even when my stepdad 
moved in, my mum was always the one I would ask, mm-hmm. and she was the disciplinarian, and yeah, I and just that shaped you. Yeah, it's just unusual for me when people say out there because actually, my reactions, I find it so refreshing when you say, "Oh, what do you mean?" Yeah, <laughs> because I don't feel out there. I just uh-huh. feel like somebody who's. Just myself. Mm-hmm. Mm. You, you touched then on your mum and, and saying she was a feminist. Is that a label that you identify with? Yeah, within the context of today's culture, but I don't think it should be something that separates. I actually think we should all just be feminists. Mm-hmm. And then we don't have to call ourselves that anymore. Femin- <laughs> yeah. The only reason why we do is because it's not evolved enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about... Um, this, you know, your first ever single was 11 years ago. And, yeah. you know, that's a really interesting time to have been in the music industry, particularly as a woman. I wondered if there's been any noticeable change in how you've been treated, you know, in, in all those years and over that time up to present day. Have you, have you noticed a change, whether it's positive or negative? Because I'm, because I am um, very defined as a person and, um, not particularly malleable um I've never sort of experienced overt sexism in the music industry I've never really like been somebody to kind of show off my body unless it was imperative to the subject like on a video like just be where it's all about showing myself and I was naked Mm. but it wasn't in a sexual way um but I do think that I've noticed now having uh, approaching sort of just over a decade something about women and the aging process yeah um which is um people sort of say say oh you've been in the industry over a decade you're a woman in the industry over a decade uh-huh. and you've achieved this and and actually that's sort of it's it's like a compliment but it's also disappointing that that's an achievement because we are as women not allowed to age and we're not allowed to um ever kind of not appear or seem youthful uh-huh. and the reality is in my view is that i think a woman Women in their 30s and 40s are much sexier, much more in touch with their sexuality and um, that confidence is appealing. Like in your 20s, the reality is is you are finding your sexuality, finding your confidence, mm-hmm. finding all of those things. And quite frankly, if there's any men listening, a lot of the time they're faking it, guys. Yeah, yeah. And when you're in your 30s and 40s, you're like, no, nah, I'm not going to fake it. Yeah, it's I'll so just true. tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. I'm all about, I'm, I'm slightly confused sometimes when people are like, this is an achievement, mm. but it's just unfortunate to me that, that that would even be one in in culture. I mean, there's all these people that are, rel- are considered to be young people's music. Mm-hmm. I don't know how old Pharrell is, but I think he's nearly fifty. Yeah, and Jay Z. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. It's great. And can you imagine, as a woman, that'd be it. You'd be just done. You know. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a diet coke or a regular coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant coke? No. 
Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Do you want to better understand yourself or others? Do you have challenges in your family? Do you feel stuck in a particular problem? In the chart-topping How Did We Get Here podcast, Claudia Winkleman and her friend, clinical psychologist, Professor Tanya Byron, identify the struggles faced by real people in one-time, unscripted sessions. Claudia listens to the conversations to discover how Tanya unlocks the story and understand how she guides contributors to a place of clarity. Again, it's about a boundary say the things that need to be said, which I think is a compensation for what was never said when you were growing up. You know, you've got to be really careful. Oh, you've just gone, wow. Wow, yeah. Why do you say wow? Because making that link with how things weren't talked about when I was growing up, like emotional stuff wasn't really discussed. And So now I'm going to bang the table and say what needs to be said. For life lessons that resonate with us all, listen to How Did We Get Here, wherever you get your podcasts. It's really interesting talking about ageing because I um, I was so close to getting a job that I felt I was perfect for, I thought I was going to get it. And then I found out from somebody else, like confidential feedback about me, and their feedback was that I was too old for the audience um, and um, I just turned 37 like two weeks ago. Yeah. And I was just like, wow. And and I said to my husband, oh, did you hear this feedback? And he, <laughs> but then he was like, babe, you are old. He's like, you're not like 20. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, you're not like 20. He's like, that's young people in their 20s. And I was just like, no, but I'm really confident and experienced and I could hold my own and I could still, yeah. I could still bring younger people to that subject area. I don't have to be that age to bring them to it. Um, I also feel like people are born an age, like... I've always felt that. Like, I think that I'm a young person yeah. in, this, in a sense, um, in sort of attitude. Uh-huh. I look at, like, people I went to school with and they sort of seem quite old to me because yeah. of their attitude and their energy. And I think you, you're like that. So that's why I don't quite understand. I actually find as well, like, my age men a lot older. Uh-huh. Same, yeah. So I've got a toy boy, that's why. So have, so have I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really interesting because then after, I went for a walk on my own afterwards I just because I like silence, I like walking. And I thought, oh my God, is that it? Is the world done with me? Am I am I old? And it am was I just, watched that? Yeah, should I just leave and like carry on walking? And never but if come you back? think about like, it, people's attitudes need to change because people mm. live to the 80, 85 on average. Mm-hmm. And that's not, sort of the other ones who go beyond that. So it's like the halfway point is way, way later than than what it used to be. The halfway point used to be, you know, 25 mm-hmm. before science got involved. The halfway point's now 40 or 45. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's they need like, to, it can't be 36. A whole so. half a life left. 
No, yeah. it can't be. <laughs> Please. Now, lots of people um, listen each week to the podcast to try and get sort of tips and advice. And, and we keep going back to confidence. And I wondered in your own experience, do you think it's something that's learned or do you think it's innate? I think it's learned. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think that confidence is what makes a person attractive and it's not to do with the way they look. Mm-hmm, I know that um, I know that with, you know, me finding people attractive or being drawn to people's never been, you could stand them all in a line and they just look so different. It's to do, but but they might in a character sense have something in common. Mm-hmm. And it's to do with that kind of like even a confidence in in your failings or confidence in your imperfections, mm-hmm. which makes you people drawn to you. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's learnt though because I definitely grew up a shyer kid. I was a very quiet child, mm. and I was also quite often as a kid. I remember quite easily manipulated mm-hmm. and didn't really stand up for myself. And then I just remember when it started to shift and I remember like the the voice in my head saying, no, that's not, I don't want to be this person anymore. Do you think that's just life experiences that build that that assertiveness to, to know what you want and to be able to say it? And It's hard to say, isn't it? I mm. don't... I, I do think that life experiences mould you and, and actually when you're a kid, everything you experience, you sort of experience as normal, as your normal, and then you sort of grow up and you get out there and you talk to other people and you're like, oh, maybe that was quite difficult, maybe that was, but you just sort of get on with it, don't you? It's part of the human condition to mm. make your own set of circumstances work for you and that yeah. builds confidence. I guess it's not, there's no sort of textbook way because everyone's um, obstacles are different. Mm-hmm. And for some people, it's not a choice, is it, of being strong or being confident. It's the only choice within their situation that they're in. Yes, otherwise you're going to be taken advantage of or, mm. you know, bullied or whatever. And if you decide, no. Like I remember, I talked to my sister a lot and she's much less assertive than me. and. Someone was quite rude to her at work recently. She works in a bookshop. Mm. And she was like, I just wanted to call and tell you what I said. Because <laughs> it was like a big thing. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, my God. And then what did he say? And then what did you say? And um, it was like a real moment of realisation. Like, some, she's like, I'm not going back from this. So she was assertive in that situation. Yeah, and it Good. was like one of the rare times she had been and she articulated it in a way that wasn't confrontational. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and I think, you know, when raising my daughter, I, I um, am trying to teach her how to do that. Like yesterday, she's only three, she's so funny. She'd put like loads of stuff on the, on the stairs, like toys, and she said I made a house. And then her dad had tidied it all up. Mm-hmm. And she said, it hurt my feelings that he did that because I, I was excited to play with it in the morning. Oh. And I was like, I think it's important you tell him. Yeah. And 
it's fine to have those feelings. And then she's like, no, I don't want to. I'll just cuddle him. I said, no, no, I think we're going to tell him. Yeah, and then it's I was so like, important. Yeah, and she just went up to him and she was like, it hurt my feelings a little bit that you'd changed what I did, but it's okay. And I was like, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. So now he knows, but it's not confrontation. Yeah, you didn't have to be rude or aggressive. and Yeah, it's just like it wasn't ideal. Yeah. And we're not going to turn it into a big thing. We're going to just move on. But mm-hmm. I just wanted you to know. And I thought that was really important. That's great. Because you're using the example of your child, but actually for adults listening, that's a real life lesson that it's never too late to politely, you know, confront colleagues, like you said, in a non, non-aggressive yeah. way. It's never too late to get assertive with the people that have always walked all over you, you know? And I think sometimes people confuse assertiveness with confrontation and I and I actually don't think it has to be. Mm. Um, I think it's actually important that it isn't in a way otherwise you'll scare yourself into never saying what you feel because uh-huh. you'll be like I just don't want an argument Yeah. but actually if you're a reasonable person talking to another reasonable person and you just say you know this um, you know was a bit sad or disappointing or whatever but I don't want to make a big thing out of it I just want you to know for future that's what I often say mm, mm. I, I often say like I, I just want you to know for future this is this, this is how this is what's yeah. acceptable and what's not yeah 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 I think that's really healthy and it's great that we can even me and you have this conversation and discuss it you know it's really important um, I want to talk a little bit to you just about the past because, I mean, I don't know how accurate it is when I when I researched you, but when I looked you up, um, you've got an MA in theatre directing, a, yeah. de- a degree in dance, um, and kind of prior to, to being a singer, like you said, you know, you've always worked from the age of 14, bartender, mm. magician's assistant, life model, working in agent provocateur. I just wondered, like, what would you have done if you hadn't have done this? Did you have another career, I don't know, in the performing world in mind or or completely separate? Back in the day, I really wanted to do special effects makeup, Mm -hmm. so like blood and gore films. But I feel like in my older life, later life, I I read this book called The Other Hand by Chris Cleave, which was about... Yeah, I know this book. Do you know it? It changed my life, actually. It was such a brilliant book. It was a long time ago I read it. Same, about over 10 years ago. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and, and then after reading that, I was like, I definitely would have wanted to work with people seeking asylum or, um, yeah, just like other human beings that need help, refugees and um, uh-huh. that sort of thing really, it really pulled on my heartstrings. I thought it was a very beautiful and cleverly written book. Yeah, so guys, I will put a link to that book on my Instagram because I I read I must have read it like 12, 13 years ago and it's the yeah. kind of book you shut it and you're like, wow, oh my gosh, like it's completely makes you question everything, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does. It does. Yeah. That. So one of the questions I I try not to ask everyone the same questions, but one question <laughs> I often ask a lot of people and I I want to I want to know this from you is what advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, um, that's such a hard question. It's isn't a hard it? question, isn't it? Because it's not necessarily about regrets. No, I don't really have those. But <laughs> I, um, I think it would be something along the lines of what we touched on before about a bit not being as hard on myself. Mm-hmm. 
Um, because if anybody else had done, like I can look at you and say, in awe and say, wow. And I can look at, you know, other women in who am I, I consider my peers and say, wow, this is amazing. But I can't seem to do that to myself. And I think actually there's something in that that's, if I if I wasn't me and I was somebody else looking at me, I might think that's really quite amazing. Mm-hmm. But I just don't. Yeah. Um. So I would say something to do with that, like trying to. I think in therapy they teach you like, um, if you were yourself, your child version of yourself, and you spoke to yourself mm. in the way you're speaking to yourself today, do you think you? that would be kind to that child. Mm. And I always, the answer's always no, it wouldn't be. And then mm-hmm. the, my old, because I did therapy for seven years, was like, he used to say, I told you. Yeah. Why'd you do it to yourself then? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I think it would be something to do with that. Yeah, I think that's a really good one because actually if we all took ourselves back to that point in our lives and, you know, some of the stuff we say to ourselves now could be quite toxic, quite harmful. Yeah. Um, it could really damage a child, but we, we feel like we can deal with it. We can talk to ourselves like that. We can play the not good enough tape, but we wouldn't dream of doing it to to our younger selves. So so why do it now? It doesn't make sense when you give that analogy, does it? No. It's really interesting. Do you know, I've, I was so excited about talking to you and um, you did not disappoint me. I, no. I, <laughs> I feel like I could talk talk to you forever. And I suppose the reason is because I just feel like you are so authentic and you've got nothing to hide in that sense. And I, I think as a woman, it's so valuable to connect with other women that are like that. It's so important and so helpful. Um, I agree. And I yeah. believe I... I I I am a woman's woman. Like mm. I, you know, I really admire and love and adore women, and I do think what they're capable of is unbelievable. Even like I have so much respect. Going back to what we were saying earlier, for stay-at-home mums, mm. like I, it almost takes my breath away to think about what that would be like and how hard that would be. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know a lot of. I've met a lot of stay-at-home mums who I know quite a few from nursery and stuff who are like, what you do is amazing. I'm like, I think you're the, what yeah. you do is amazing. I get to go to a place where people ask me questions and value what my answer is. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm with, I'm with you. But look, I mean, that's the thing. It all gave us a flavour. Like when I was in lockdown, I thought, I went through these emotions of feeling bad that this isn't enough for me. And then she's saying, no, it's fine that this isn't enough for me. It's normal this isn't enough for me. Like I know who I am and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a career-driven person who yeah. also has a family, you know, and that, that's But it's okay. also good for your kids to see that as well. Mm. My daughter asked me the other day if I preferred working or playing with her. Mm-hmm. And I said... I always prefer playing with you, but you know that to be happy, I need to go to work sometimes. Yeah. And I think it's important for her to know that your job should make you feel happy and that you're, you know, that that's what something to strive for. I want her to think that work's not just about making money. Yeah. It's about fulfillment. Yeah. I don't want her to just go, oh, I need to do this to put, you know, pay the bills. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's purpose, it's fulfillment. It's, yeah, and 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 for me, it's identity. It is actually who I, I I'm like you. I've worked on my life. It is who I am, and I'm and I'm proud of that. I want that. You know, it's not yeah. something I want to retire from. I couldn't imagine retiring personally. Same. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, kids' interpretation, because my eldest is six, my youngest is three, and my eldest said to me, um, is, is Casey Piper a real person? Um, because I, it's not, you know, I don't use that name outside of work. I use my married name. Um, and I was like, yeah, that is me. That's part of my job. And she was like, oh, right. Okay. Okay. And it was, it was so interesting how she almost saw me out the house is something, a different part of my identity. Was that your six year old? Yeah. The six year old. Yeah. Yeah. Because my little one said that the other day, she said, mama, when you go to work, you're Paloma Faith. When you come home, you're mama. Yeah, it, but isn't like, that so intelligent? So right. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It's nice. It's actually nice to have that separation. I don't want to be all of everything to everybody. I like to have that that privacy and that separation. I think it's important. Yeah, I agree. Well, that is the end of the podcast. Um, I oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I know. Thank you so much for your time. And it's so the, inspiring to speak to you too. Uh, and I love your podcast. Thank you. That and I love great. your music. And I'm going to put a link up to the new album, Infinite Things. So guys, if you're listening to this, you can head over to my Instagram and I'll put a swipe up there as well. Um, so you, in true fashion, like the title says, you've been extraordinary. So thank you. Love you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show where you got this or share on socials. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.